There's a fascinating Northwest head-to-head -head on Monday night between one team that didn't use their heads in a 4-0 defeat to Brentford and another team that used the head a bit too much in a one-all draw with Crystal Palace. It's Manchester United against their old foes, Liverpool. It could be even more chaotic and eventful than ever. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. Mark O'Hare is the only man in Europe who hasn't yet been linked with a move to Old Trafford, which is just as well, because we'd say no to selling him anyway. Uh, Mark, United have been utterly dreadful in their defeats to Brighton and Brentford so far, but there are caveats here. Eric Ten Hag is trying to bed down a new style. He has to try and stick to this. It's going to take a while and there are always going to be teething problems. Yes. Um, first of all, two winless teams going head-to-head -head on Monday night. I'd love to have seen the price on both of these two teams failing to win both of their first two matches this campaign. Um, United bottom of the table, two embarrassing defeats. Ten Hag calling on his players to come in on Sunday on my day off in 30-degree heat to make them run the combined distance that Brentford outrun them the previous day. Shows he's trying to... You know, put his foot down and show a bit of discipline within the squad. Um, I'm not sure it's going to elicit a major change in performance levels, um, but at least he'll kind of show a degree of leadership which hasn't been there or thereabouts at United for quite some time, from the top down to the bottom. Um, and I think that's precipitated this move backwards, really. But um, I don't think Ten Hag should escape blame himself, nor should the players, obviously. But um, I think he has been handicapped by the transfer window, uh, but he has been a little bit stubborn as well, sticking to his... His principles, even when the tools potentially aren't, aren't actually there. And look, I think De Gea's already had enough criticism. We all know he's not Edison with his feet. Uh, we all know that Sandro Martinez might have been targeted because of his height. But then to pick Christian Eriksen, either as a false nine or a sort of hybrid holding midfielder, just, just questionable, really, um, as is the attitude of the players on the field, which I think has caused a lot of consternation in and out of the club, really. Um, when you kind of compare and contrast where United were compared to Brentford in terms of hunger and desire and, and motivation and, and those kind of principles which um, you know shouldn't be sort of uh, questioned uh, it's it's worrying really so um, I forget what the first question was you gave me there <laughs> well no just that it was always going to take a while if Ten Hag is trying to shift the style completely to a team that builds up from the back with a goalkeeper who can barely pass the ball that was always going to take quite a long time and I find De Gea, actually, that the the perfect example of why this isn't working. Because, and I don't blame him for this, he, he's never been a goalkeeper who is great at distribution. He's a brilliant shot stopper. He's glued to his goal line. You know that. that. That is what he is. So you've got a coach who's come in with a totally different way of playing. And you are asking guys to do stuff that they either don't quite understand or are not capable of doing. So I blame the club for that as well, because the first thing they should have done as soon as they got Ten Hag in was say, right, he's going to need a goalkeeper who can play. So you either keep Henderson and say to De Gea, look, this isn't going to work. We're going to need to find you a move. Or you bring in a new top line goalkeeper. But it's just, oh, we'll see what happens. And it's just inertia. It's ridiculous. 
Yeah, I mean, we, we keep talking about these same issues week on week because it, it comes down to United potentially not having a, a director of football who is leading things in terms of football operations, pre-planning, succession planning, not just in sort of coaching, but also in terms of, of players and identifying future replacements. And, you know, I guess the link with Casemiro this week is, is slightly more upbeat compared to the players that were banded around previous week but even still you're looking at a player the wrong side of 30 uh, there's going to be no sell-on clause or sell-on sort of fee really for him if he wants to join and why is he going to want to sort of jump, jump ship from Real Madrid to well, that's what confuses me and I know Chouameni's gone there and I know they're trying to progress that midfield but he's only 30 so doesn't he's potentially got another couple of years there at least yeah, it would just be money, really. But um, yeah, I guess uh, despite sort of criticising Ten Hag for, for some of his selection decisions and tactical nuances so far, I think it's it's probably worth sort of looking at what Arsenal did at the start of last season. They were a total rabble for the first three weeks, actually, and um, people were completely writing them off. And it shows with time things can turn around. And you know, United have had a, a tricky start, but a winnable start. You know, Brentford and Brighton are both um, very, very capable Premier League teams, offer something a little bit different, but they're smart operators. Um, so if you're unprepared, you're bound to find things tough. But I think the way in which the manner of which that defeat came against Brentford to the first half was, uh, I can't think of another word, but shocking, really. It really was absolutely shocking and probably a, a better word to describe it, really. But um, they need a reaction and <laughs> I think having a home game against Liverpool on one side will probably be a, a good thing because there's going to be no degree of, of motivation required there. But uh, I'm just wondering whether Ten Hag does have to sacrifice some of his principles coming into this game because if they go out and play in a similar vein against Liverpool, regardless of the players missing from a, a Liverpool perspective, it could be really, really ugly. Uh, it was ugly last season and uh, Liverpool played with a, a pretty sort of uh, mediocre midfield of, of Milner, Cater and, and Henderson then and there was no Sadio Mane back at Old Trafford last season either. So, you know, you look at the midfield that played against Palace, Fabinho, Elliott and, and Milner, um, it's not the it's not a world away from the team from Liverpool who who dismantled them last season. So I just wonder whether he will try and sacrifice some of that sort of um, flair on the ball for a bit more solidity and just ask his players to keep things simple and just try and get something from this game. But um, you know you're asking a guy who's who's kind of well sort of bedded and, and netted into these kind of styles. So I don't know really, but um, yeah, things look pretty ominous at the moment. Even though Liverpool have drifted quite a significant amount since since Monday night's performance against Palace, which I didn't actually think was was the worst performance in the world. Um, I thought they, they played quite attempts. well, especially with yeah. ten men. Yeah, twenty four attempts, almost two and a half expected goals. As you say, down to ten men for the final half hour, just four shots on target, and that really was the. The, the, the difference, really, and the fact that they conceded early to the to Palace's first attack. If, if, if Liverpool score early, as they did, and that sort of first, as they should have, really, in that first 10, 15 minutes when they came out of the traps at Anfield, it would have been a completely different different game. But uh, I don't think Nat Phillips covered himself in glory for the goal and, and perhaps elsewhere. So, yeah, there's, there's a few question marks over Liverpool, but they're still in a much, much better place than United. Delighted to say we welcome trader extraordinaire Emmett O'Keefe back to the starting side. Emmett. Mark's right. Last season, United was thrashed twice by Liverpool. There is a big quality gap, organisational gap, tactical gap. How do United even begin to close that? Or do you, do you just accept at United, we're going to get duffed up every so often, but if we're further along at the end of the season than we are at the start, then we've done the job? I think so. I think you're right in the sense that, like, I think Ten Hag is probably is looking at it like... I. Um, 
this is the way I play. And just maybe I, I might modify it slightly if the player is in my disposal, but I have a fundamental, he, he like, like Pep Guardiola, he's, I think he's a bit of a fundamentalist and he's looking to play a certain way and trying to kind of be process orientated. And by say, by the end of the season, even, even if United finish, let's say seventh or eighth, then what is at least the end of the season, we're kind of closer to kind of my ideal than when we started. But unfortunately, I just think he's been, he's maybe the right man at the totally the wrong time. Um, like I, I, it's you can't just make it about one player, but I think like it is literally impossible for any of this, any plan he has to be implemented while Cristiano Ronaldo was is there. It's it's just not possible. Like Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher, including Ronaldo, in those in that like amber list of the players who've been okay these signings at United, was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen. Like yeah, yeah. Cristiano, like is in to be honest, it actually betrayed. The two guys are excellent, but it betrayed a kind of a lack of understanding how modern kind of system attacking football works. Like Man United scored 73 goals in the Premier League in the 2020-21 season. They scored 57 last year. In the 2020-21 season, Bruno Fernandes, one of the best four or five players in the Premier League when he had Ed, Edson Cavani making unselfish runs. Yeah. And, yeah. and like Marcus Rashford was an like it looked like an asset. Marcus Rashford is not the the player with the kind of the the sorry player we see now is look at the exit door. And I'm not saying it's all because of Ronaldo, but he's he's a huge part to play in all that. And that and, that, and, and that's only when you know how to have the ball. We know how, how much of a negative he is in terms of pressing and not running his team doesn't have the ball and from all indications off the pitch he's 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 a totally a negative in terms of kind of telling the players not to kind of go against Ten Hag's side of play so I think like if if Ronaldo if, if I would say if I to say one thing United could do in the next three weeks to transfer it wouldn't be something it wouldn't be getting rid of Frankie Young it would be paying Sporting Lisbon or whoever wants to take Ronaldo to take them off their hands and sign he doesn't have to be I'm not looking for <laughs> you're not looking for a Dusan Vlajevic up front, even somebody like Matthias Cunha or a young forward who, who's a bit of athleticism and could at least lead the press. I think that is that is the one thing United have to do. I think relying on Anthony Mar- Anthony Martial for a season is just is, is, as your kind of main striker really really isn't viable. Um, so I think that's that. But but so that like I kind of if you're looking at the, for the, the season. If Ronaldo stays, I think like I, I think a real disaster for Ten Hag and like bottom half. They're currently like a foot render three to one shot the exchange for bottom half. If Ronaldo stays, I think that's very viable. Like I was on the phone to my dad who has been United fan since the sixties, and he was telling me that relegation was a live possibility. And by the end <laughs> of the phone, the end of the phone call, I was thinking like twenty fives in the exchange is a terrible price. Um, and so I think like obviously it's not going to be probably not going to be that bad. But I do think just that the Ronaldo issue just clouds everything with with United in, 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 in terms of their f- future for this season. For, for, for this game specifically, yeah, I think we, we might see Ten Hag maybe try and kind of a sit deep and counter-attack or try kind of a damage limitation exercise. But whichever way they play it, I think it won't work. Because if, if they try to play it from the back and play kind of a high-pressing attacking game, I think Liverpool will just pick them off. And if they play kind of a retreat counter-attacking game, I don't think they're defensively well-organised to really kind of keep Liverpool out and kind of and really attack it. And if they're playing Ronaldo up front, how can you, it's harder to counter-attack with kind of a static presence up front like Ronaldo is. Uh, so even with Liverpool's injuries... Liverpool have more than enough talent to at least kind of control this game, even if they're not at their best. 
again, like it's hard to see anything like a Liverpool victory. Um, they're around Liverpool around even money uh, on the Asian handicaps uh, for minus one. So that means if Liverpool win by one goal, you get your money back. But if Liverpool win by two goals, you get a full win. So that's that's probably the way I'd lean. As the lads have said, Liverpool have been better, but better than the results this season. And in terms of like Nat Phillips, that was a bit of an outlier in the sense that you've, you've Joe Gomez, Canate, and Matt up all outs. You've Phillips, who's, who's like yeah. who, who Liverpool couldn't even rope board, but they're taking him last season. And like that, and he's he's a championship level centre half. Go go go! should should be at least fit enough fit enough to play this week. And he's and he's he's a more than competent centre half to do to, to do a job against United. So yeah, hard to see anything other than a comfortable Liverpool win. The dashing data doctor Jake Oscarthorpe from Infogol completes the side. Jake Liverpool have dropped points against Fulham and against Palace, but they were two very very different performances. Fulham, they were poor, and Jurgen Klopp admitted they probably should have lost the game, actually. Darwin Nunez's red card proved crucial on Monday night, but after that, Liverpool played well. Yeah, I, I don't think they've done too much wrong so far this season. They've just been a little bit unfortunate, even against Fulham. Um, you know, I, I don't think they deserve to lose the game. I think they probably deserve to win it based on the chances created. I mean, you know, Fulham scored a penalty. Liverpool in the second half alone racked up four non-penalty big chances. So they took a long while to get going, though, didn't they? They they did. They needed the injection of Nunes to um, to really get them going in that game for for some reason. I think Elliot came off the bench as well and impressed. Um, Yeah, first half in particular, they were bad. But to to suggest that they deserve to lose the game, I thought was a little bit a little bit wrong. Um, And and the same with the Crystal Palace game. Yeah, they conceded quite a few chances. Uh, Emmett's already spoken about Nat Phillips and. Uh, been a, a massive liability there. Uh, that's definitely put that down to the, as a major reason. And obviously the red card didn't help. But again, they racked up plenty of chances. Um, as we said, in the first 10, 15 minutes, they were excellent. Uh, and throughout, even playing with 10 men, they looked an absolute threat. And you know, no team in the Premier League so far has created more expected goals than Liverpool have this season. So um, the, attacking, the attacking play isn't an issue at all. They are still creating chance after chance. Um, so I don't think there's any need to panic, really. Um, for for Liverpool, yes, they are behind the eight ball in terms of the currently what four points behind City already. But they chased down a really big lead uh, uh, last season as well, down exactly. Um, and that was that was mid season as well. This is only a couple of games in. There's still thirty six to go. So um, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not ruling them out of winning the title. I didn't have them winning the title at the start. I think Manchester City will be too good again this season, but they'll still be there or thereabouts and. Um, yeah, the the Man United issue is it's it's increasingly looking like they are, as Emmett said, a bottom half team. Um, the irony is, the last season they ranked as the ninth best team based on expected points, so they they only have to be slightly worse this season to drop into that bottom half anyway. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's been a baptism of fire for Ten Hag and his system because the, the the first two teams that they've played, Brighton and Brentford, are two very smart teams that play in a very organised, high press. Um, and they're very adaptable teams as well. They don't have a set way of playing. They can mix it up. They have some very smart coaches and they are very analytically driven as a club. So they can highlight really sort of key areas of weakness uh, and how to exploit them. And, you know, Brentford, 
I think Thomas Frank just came out and said, "Yeah, we just did what Brighton did." Um, I think there's probably a bit more to it than that. Um, they were very, they were a lot more direct in their style of play, and, and they really did make things count uh, at set pieces as well, which is also a massive issue um, for Man United. As you as you said, David de Gea doesn't come and claim anything from his line. He stands there and expects Maguire's magnet to to get rid of it. Uh, it doesn't always happen, unfortunately. And when you've got someone like Martinez in the box as well, who is very very short for centre half, and you've got some every I think every team in the Premier League right now has got a, a striker who's massive. It's almost like the the original number nine is coming back into fashion after uh, dipping out for a while. And Ivan Tony just caused absolute issues. And and I think as I said, the Brighton Brentford teams are very well organised, high pressing teams. And Liverpool also fit that category, which means that it's an absolute nightmare matchup for Manchester United if they continue to do the same things. You could also say that looking at the next game as well against Southampton. We've spoken on Saturday Pod about them. Defensively, they're an absolute shambles, but they are a well-organised, high-pressing team that also could cause major issues for Man United. So it isn't conceivable or isn't inconceivable that United could be four games into the season and having lost all four because the styles of the teams that they're playing against just don't suit how Ten Hag wants to play. And as you said, that the players that he has at his disposal aren't ready to sort of get the best out of his system and his style. Yeah. Um and yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be either a case of being incredibly stubborn in this game and sticking to his principles, which will get them seriously beat, or you know you admit defeat at this early stage and change it up and maybe go in a more Mourinho side, defensive-minded approach, play a back five and look to play on the counter-attack. I can't see him doing that, personally. I don't think he's it got that in his nature. It's a bad message, that, doesn't it? If you're junking the master plan after two games... That sends exactly. an appalling message to the players. And you, you have to think that, you know, it's it's bad to say he's in a win-win situation here, Ten Hag, because they aren't going to sack him straight away. They can't afford to do that for one, and they just put them back to square one. If they get beat heavily in this match, all it does is reinforce the fact that he needs players to work his system. So either way, he's in a win-win situation because if they lose heavily, then it's just everyone's pointing fingers at the board and the recruitment saying that they, they need to support him. Um, and if he wins, he looks like a genius because his system's is, is beating Liverpool. Um, he's above Liverpool in the table. Then. Yeah, it's yeah, which fine. would be incredible. Uh, but yeah, I can't see that being the case. I think I think we've, we've said Liverpool are expected a couple of players back. I think Joe Gomez is, is going to be fit enough to start. Roberto Firmino, Klopp said that he's close to, to being back to full fitness. Uh, and all of a sudden, that, that Liverpool team just pretty much resembles... The, the kind of team that, that they played at last season at Old Trafford. You know, you've got, even if Firmino isn't fit, you, do you move Salah into the centre and bring Fabio Caballo in, who I think has looked really good in, in the cameos that he's had? Um, he looked really, really fun dynamic. on Monday, but he did a horrible little turn in the left-back zone towards the end of the game and lost nearly lost the ball. And I can't imagine that went down very well with the open <laughs> flop. Uh, so he's fun and he's really exciting, but I think he's still got a little bit to learn. He has, yeah, but he's 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 the kind of dynamic forward that they like at Liverpool. Who's very, um, you know, he's very direct. He picks the ball up and he just wants to run. Um, and we saw that in the Community Shield when he came on. Uh, we saw that in, against Fulham when he came on. Very direct and, and difficult and awkward to deal with. So if he plays, I'm not too um, too worried about them in, in attack. The midfield is is you know probably the main area of concern. But if you've got Henderson, you've got Fabinho. Um, and, and you throw Harvey Elliott in there, that's more than capable of, of getting a result. And even if not, Milner is, is an adequate standard because, let's face it, Man United's midfield is their main area of weakness right now because no one seems to, they don't seem to have anyone that can play as a holding midfielder. No one just wants to sit there and get the ball off the goalkeeper. No one's capable of turning. Well, it ain't Fred, I'll tell you that much. 
Because uh, I, no, he's he's an eight. He's a box to box yeah. eight. Yeah, um, he is. And and you know you're trying to play Ericsson there because he's better technically, but he hasn't got the awareness picking the ball up so deep and having a player so far up him that you know he he's not used to that in those areas of the pitch where the risk reward is way unbalanced. He's used to picking those ball up in the half areas, high up the pitch where it's more risk, it's more reward than risk. Whereas you're doing it on your in your own 18 yard line, the risk completely outweighs the the reward. Um, and yeah, McTominay is not capable of of playing football at this level. I don't think. I think he's, he's a good he's a good runner he's a good body, but he he's just we saw it in the Brighton game was a prime example. He's just so incapable of picking the ball up and uh, on the half turn and driving forward and getting the team up the pitch. He just can't do it. So yeah, I, I think it, I think I really I like Emmett's play. I've got that down myself as Liverpool minus one on the Asian handicap. Um, I, I think that's the only the only selection that makes sense really, given everything we've seen so far from both teams. And yeah. It's it's a difficult spot for Man United, but um, you know I'll throw I'll throw this to you, Kev. Like if Ten Hag would have come out the gate and won his first three games, then would he get the investment that he requires? Uh, well, I I just think the the transfer policy, regardless of results, is just all over the place. Anyway, uh, I think they have an a, a deeply inexperienced sporting director compared to a lot of other sporting directors he, he's clearly talented and he's clearly you know convinced him to a certain extent John Mercer to get that far but there's no track record at this level so therefore why would one of the biggest football clubs in the world give that job to him it doesn't make any sense you've got Luis Campos doing brilliant things at Paris You've got Paratici doing a good job at Spurs. Monchi does his thing at Sevilla. He might not have wanted to move anyway because the Roma thing didn't work out and he's obviously happy where he is. But, you know, I, I don't, I still don't think clubs in general take the sporting director role as seriously as they should. And I think the ones that do are the ones that overperform over a period of time. And United are a classic example of a club that just doesn't understand that, doesn't get it, and there's, there doesn't seem to be any plan or organisation there, which is why you end up having Marko Arnautovic on one hand and then Benjamin Sheshko on the other, and then you go for Cunha, and then you go for... And, you know, it won't all be true, these links, but there doesn't seem to be any kind of plan. So, Mark, the guys are going for minus one on the Asian handicap for Liverpool. It's extraordinary, really, when you think Liverpool... That kind of price going to Old Trafford anyway shows you just how the two clubs have diverged. What would your play be? Yeah, I had that as well as uh, Liverpool to win and over one and a half goals as, as an alternative if the price allowed. Uh, I think it's going to be a little bit tight, but I was just looking at that, that drift on Liverpool's price since Monday night. Um, it became, you know, Liverpool started to become quite an attractive proposition in theory, really. So, um, yeah, uh, fully in agreement. Uh, it's very difficult to, to be positive about United coming into this. And as we discussed, Liverpool have been probably better than the results have suggested. So um, maybe this is the time where they click into gear and, and put a team to the sword as they did last season. That's worth bearing in mind that this is part of our Bet5 Get5 offer. So you can get a £5 free bet for staking a £5 bet builder on Manchester United against Liverpool. T's and C's in the description, 18 plus, see gambleaware.org. So you've all gone for a Liverpool win for a start. So I think we can hurl a Liverpool win in there. Uh, Emmett, what would you be throwing in on top of that? 
Um, it's a fairly short price, but I think Harry Maguire to be card is, is always is is live in every minute of the pitch. Like he, you saw the un, untidy tackle he made last week against Brentford. He could he could even got possibly further than a yellow card. Um, he's just I like. <laughs> I don't want to he be too harsh. He seems to fight fires everywhere. He seems yeah, yeah, to yeah, not yeah. really trust his teammates a lot of the time. No, I, I think like. I think it's the first thing to say is that Harry Maguire pre will say European Championship was not worth the money United paid, but he was kind of a seven out of ten good Premier League centre half. But I think the last the last season, kind of pre Euros, he's been like a four out of ten, like one of the worst centre halves in the Premier League. And all you you're, all the noise is coming from the dressing room. Are the players are just kind of confused why he's still on the team, confused why he's still the captain? When your captain's one of your worst players, it's it, it's not a good place to be. And given how low confidence he is, given the pace in Liverpool's forward line, I think um, I think that's that's looks toward the inclusion. And any any of your bet builders. So we've got Liverpool win, Harry Maguire to be carded. Jake, anything else? Um, I'll throw Salah to score in. I think it's just around the even money mark. Um, yeah, he, he's he's not really lost a beat this start of the season. I think he was he's been um, you know still scares the life out of every defender. He was really good against um, Fulham in that second half. Uh, he's ever so close to a winner against Palace as well. Yeah, that was some strike, wasn't it? Um, yeah, I. I think he's got he's got a great record in this fixture as well. So um, yeah, you're talking about one of the best players um, in recent Premier League history at getting on the end of good chances regularly. So if Liverpool are to win this game comfortably, as we think they will, uh, and if we think they're going to score a couple of goals, then there's a high chance that he's going to get one of them. And Mark, will that do us, or is there anything else you want to hurl into the pot? Uh, I was I went down the bookings route as well, so um, I guess you've got an option now with who you want to go with. But I, I looked at Cristiano Ronaldo, and obviously it's deeply dependent on whether he starts or not. But uh, he was carded eight times in 29 starts last season in the Premier League, which works out around 30%, which would be around sort of a two-to-one shot. Well, actually, 3.75 to collect a booking in this match. And if you look at the eight cars he picked up last season, there's a bit of a theme running through them, in fairness. Uh, Booked in the 5-0 home defeat to Liverpool. Booked in the 2-0 home defeat to Man City. Booked in the 1-1 draw at Chelsea. Booked in the 1-1 draw against Newcastle. Booked in the sort of high-pressurised atmosphere of Ellen Road when United won 4-2. Then booked uh, when United lost 1-0 away at Everton. Booked when United lost 3-1 at Arsenal. Uh, and booked when United lost 4-0 at Brighton as well. Um, with age, you'd expect him to mature a bit, but he still is quite a petulant <laughs> little child at, at heart yeah. when things go against him. So um, I just think out of seven of those eight bookings, United failed to win. And a lot of those matches were in sort of high-pressurised matches against elite opposition. So, I'm led to believe, with Ronaldo booked, Maguire booked, Liverpool to win and Salah to score, that comes out 24.59 for your bet builder there. So, a fairly hefty price, and I could see all of those things happening. And it could even happen in a positive way, because if he scores, that shirt might be coming off. So, there might be a yellow card for him there as well. The champions, Manchester City, looking ominously good at this early stage. Erling Haaland, I'm telling you right now, is going to get buckets of goals. He really is because even though it didn't happen for him against Bournemouth got in so many good positions and I think when the players learn where he's going to be and learn to trust that he's going to be in those positions he's going to get a ton of goals City go to Newcastle in El Oilico with the Magpies 9.6 to cause an upset Mark what chance do you give the hosts of springing a surprise in this one uh, there's always a chance but um, I think City are, are leagues apart still right now um 
this, uh, they obviously went to, to St. James's Park soon after Eddie Howe was appointed and, and won 4-0. Uh, I don't expect it to be quite so breezy for them this time around. Newcastle's home record under Howe is impressive. Nine wins, four draws, two defeats. The two defeats were that defeat to City and also Liverpool won a tight match 1-0 towards the back end of last season. But interestingly enough, only three of those 15 home games featured four or more goals uh, and Newcastle have restricted their opponents to zero or one goal in 13 of those 15 home matches too. So we saw their ability to sort of dig in and show real resilience and solidity uh, against Brighton. I know they sort of gave away quite a few chances, but Nick Pope was in fine form. Sven Botman made his debut in defence and I wouldn't be too surprised if Matt Target now comes back in after recovering and, and Dan Byrne shifts to left centre back and they go over five-man defence to try and nullify City, make life difficult for them. Because City have been pretty ominous in those first two performances. Uh, they do tend to squeeze the life out of you and, and make you look silly if you try and oppose them uh, on handicaps or, or etc. So I looked at, New, uh, at Man City to win uh, and under four and a half goals. Uh, but you can also chuck in Man City to have over four and a half shots on target, which is something they achieved in 17 of 19 away Premier League games last season. They won 15 of 20 away since the start of last season. They went 13-3-0 against non-top four finishers and conceded just eight goals in that sequence. Uh, They've got a remarkably strong record when priced up around this kind of uh, odds um, in previous campaigns. And just back in the under four and a half goals, you get basically six of the top seven correct score favourites onside, 1-0, 2-0, 3-0, 4-0, 2-1 and 3-1. I can see Newcastle putting up resistance, but ultimately City are just too strong and and worthy favourites to win the league. Jake, is that the way you'd see it too? Yeah, I've got a slightly different betting angle though. I've gone for both teams to score no, which is around even money on the exchange. Uh, I just think the way in which Manchester City have, you know, sort of come on defensively ever since Pep Guardiola took over, uh, the sort of numbers they put up last season and the way they've started this season, um, I, I think Newcastle will struggle to create. Um, Mark mentioned there Newcastle's home record under Eddie Howe, the two defeats coming against the two best teams in the league. And if you look at those Two games in isolation. Granted, the City game came before the uh, the cash injection in, in January. But across those two matches, they, they racked up a combined 0.49 expected goals over those two games um, and allowing 5.45. So, you know, to me, they, they are more than capable of mixing it with pretty much every team in the Premier League at St. James's Park, apart from Manchester City and Liverpool. Um, and I think that the, the, the gulf between those two and Newcastle is still vast. Uh, and as I mentioned, City's defence, 0.78 expected goals against per game over the entirety of last season, which is incredible. And they've started off with allowing just 0.58 away at West Ham, a team that regularly average around 1.5, 1.6 at home, um, and 0.17 against Bournemouth at the Etihad. Um, granted, it's Bournemouth at home, uh, but to still only concede a couple of pot shots is is a decent, decent effort. Um, so yeah, I know Newcastle, they've got, a lot of attacking quality, um, the potential to hurt on the break, but I think City are just an absolute machine, um, and they are they are in Terminator mode right now. They're just cruising. There, it, it feels like they've not got out of second gear yet either. There, there's still a lot more to come, I think. Um, and yeah, I was tempted with, with the the City win to nil, which is a bigger price, but I just thought the safer play in case this does end up nil nil, yeah. um, which you know Newcastle. They were very fortunate to get a nil-nil draw last week against Brighton. Brighton doing Brighton things, racking up nearly two expected goals and, and failing to score. Um, but you know that both teams to score no just just covers that potential angle as well. So, yeah, um, I like I said, I, I, I'm pretty much in line with what Mark's thinking in terms of a low-scoring City win, but just a more cautious approach for me. Let's head to Serie A now because Emmett has two games that he wants to look at. 
Yeah, so we've kind of the two Serie A matches, two, two strikers, two goal score bets, and a couple of kind of decent price, uh, decent price kind of doubles for the listeners. The first one is um, in, in, in the Napoli, Napoli v Monza game. We're going for Victor Osimhen to score any time at around four to five. Um, listeners might be familiar with him. He's a kind of a, a, a very promising Nigerian striker. He's actually scored 14 goals in only 23 starts last season in Serie A. But he had one of the best XG fig, non-penalty XG figures for any forward. And with like kind of Lorenzo Insigne leaving in the summer, um, Insigne was Napoli's penalty taker. It looks like Osman will be the kind of regular penalty taker for Napoli. He took he, he, he took one in preseason, and that's and, and for listeners who might not be aware, there's a huge amount of there's a higher proportion of penalties given in Serie A than nearly any other league in Europe. To kind of emphasise that, Napoli were awarded 14 penalties last season. So even wow. if we say like that's that that might be a little bit of an outlier. Even if they got to 10, you're talking and and Osman had maybe an 80 percent conversion rate. That could add kind of eight goals to his goal tally, which would seem very much but bang in the mix for the kind of Serie A top goal scorer. Napoli are one to three at home to Monza, so I think Osman should get plenty of chances. Napoli look kind of a, a decent attacking unit this year, scored five goals against Verona last week. They are they have a new kind of Georgian winger who I won't try to pronounce his name, but he looks he look he looks very promising and should hopefully give give Osman plenty of chance. Osman had five shots last last week as well as scoring, so I think at, at four to five that looks a fair bet. And the second one is is is, is Fiorentina. Um, so listeners might be aware of kind of of Luka Jovic's kind of struggles at Real Madrid. He he was before he jo- before before he joined them in 2019. He would have been kind of one of Europe's hottest properties at Eintracht Frankfurt, but understandably kind of struggled for game time and confidence at the Bernabeu. There are kind of there are a lot of reasons to believe that Jovic can really kind of re- rebuild his career this season at Fiorentina. For starters, I think Fiorentina have kind of would possess kind of a pretty highly rated manager in kind of Vincenzo Italiano. It was it was noticeable last season than when the Dusan Vlaevic left in left in January. Fiorentina really maintained their form quite well and st- stayed as kind of on on XG and kind of in results around the seventh best team in Italy, which is very impressive given they didn't kind of bring in a direct replacement. And I think and Italiano really sets up Fiorentina well to attack. And I think I think that it's the ideal scenario for Yavis to revive his career this season. Age only twenty four, and kind of and playing playing under less pressure pressure than he will will be at Real Madrid. Uh, Jovic had a great start last week. He had seven shots and three shots on target against against Cremonese. Uh, Fiorentina are around evens away at Empoli this week, and we, and we've and so Jovic is a price of six to four to score any times. That, that looks a more than fair bet than I would suspect. I think Jovic will probably score close to fifteen Serie A goals at least this season if he stays fit. I will be seeing far shorter prices than six to four and him to score any time. So just for, for the double on Osman and Jovic, you're coming at around seven to two the anytime double. And for the, the braver punters out there, we're about close to around twenty to one on to score first double. So that's definitely wow. de- de- definitely worth five or to kind of bright uh, liven up for Sunday afternoon. Well, it's football season. You can get a helping hand with Betfair's popular Bet Builder. Easily add our most popular or fan favourite football selections to your bet slip in just one tap. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus. See gambleaware.com.
Org. Fascinating game at Ellen Road as old school foes Leeds and Chelsea lock horns. Mark Chelsea pipped at the death by Spurs in what was a really gentle and uneventful clash at Stamford Bridge. Not much went on, really. Uh, they're 1.58 to pick up maximum points here. Yeah, a big sort of nod of approval towards Chelsea for that performance against Tottenham. Uh, I think they really stepped up to the occasion and, and gave us a, a timely reminder, really, of how good they can be, the quality that they've got in that squad and, and the intensity that they played with as well. So I know they'd be very annoyed and frustrated to have dropped points late on after being arguably the better team for the most part. But um, yeah, the fallout from that match has been a pretty pathetic from a Chelsea perspective in terms of, you know, being uh, you know, the refereeing decisions. But um, you'd expect them to use that as, as kind of fuel, uh, that injustice uh, to sort of fuel their performance this weekend. Um, I thought as a Premier League spectacle, it was as good as it gets really. Wonderfully competitive, loads of controversy, loads of incident and, and loads of quality too. So um, hopefully we'll see more of those games. But um, just, I think they'll be sort of, I wouldn't say back down to earth, but kind of back to business like Chelsea this weekend because when taking on the lesser lights, they just tend to do the business and then move on. And last year, they won nine of 10 at the bottom half. They've already picked up that win against Everton without getting out of second gear. And they're coming up against the Leeds team who coughed up that lead at St. Mary's and then didn't really convince for the most part against Wolves, but also have now got Patrick Bamford back on the sidelines um, after going off last week, which is a big, big blow, considering they're still about Luke Ayling, uh, Stuart Dallas. Uh, Liam Cooper is rated 50-50 for the weekend after missing out the last week. Um, you've lost Phillips and Rafinha, of course. I know Rodrigo's really stepped up this season and the new additions have slotted in quite nicely, but you look at the underlying metrics and considering the opposition of Southampton and Wolves, Leeds are already faring pretty much towards the top end of the list for all the negative trends of XG shots shots in the box conceded. Um, so that's quite concerning. Uh, Chelsea away under Thomas Tuchel in the Premier League have got a 66% win record, just the four de defeats, 15 clean sheets in 29. Uh, they've scored in all about four of those matches as well, and they tend to keep things pretty tight too. So despite Leeds being rather helter-skelter, six of 29 Chelsea away games under Tuchel have gone over three and a half, and just three have gone over four and a half. So it's shortened in a little bit since I did my notes, but Chelsea to win another four and a half goals gives you a boost from 1.5 to around 1.8, which I think is fair enough. Uh, I think they're more than capable of doing their business and moving on to the next challenge. And Jake, no points for West Ham so far. They face a bright inside that's feeling pretty good about itself right now. Hammers the favourites here at 2.4. Yeah, and I, I think I'm, what I'm trying to get with Brighton on this one, I think West Ham, from what we've seen so far, um, you know, the Defeat to Manchester City is kind of expected, but the manner of the defeat was a little bit concerning, particularly defensively. Um, and then to follow that up with an equally poor defensive display at Forest is, is you know, alarm bells ringing. Ben Johnson's been playing at centre-half, doing his very best. Uh, I don't think he's good enough to play there. They've obviously brought in um, Tilo Kera from PSG, who might be able to paper over the cracks there defensively until Dawson or, or um, Aguirre gets back fit. But... You know, this is a problem for West Ham. The, the the fact that they've conceded over four expected goals so far this season and they're coming up against a Brighton team who look to be in really good nick. They, um, As I mentioned earlier, they, they were really unfortunate against Newcastle not to take all three points. They limited Newcastle to just 0.18 expected goals uh, while racking up nearly two expected goals themselves. So it's a vintage Brighton performance um, and vintage that they also didn't get the result. That... That has been the case for a couple of years now at home, but away from home, they've been quietly very good. Um, last season, they racked up the fifth most points away from home in the Premier League. 
Uh, and only the eventual top four actually posted better underlying numbers when traveling than Brighton did. So they they perform as well away from home as, as what they do at home, but they, for, for whatever reason, they get results on the road as opposed to at home. They, they get the goals scored and um, where, where they perhaps don't at home. And, you know, in a strange quirk for this matchup, West Ham haven't beaten Brighton in the last 10 meetings. Um, so, you know, I... I whether that's that obviously extends past the the tenures of, of Potter and, and David Moyes, but since those two have been in charge, Brighton have got a really good record against West Ham, and I think that Brighton can double down on that record again this this week, and uh, and they they just look a, a decent bet uh, with a quarter head, quarter goal head start on Asian handicap, so that means that if there's three goals. Um, <clears throat> if Brighton uh, draw the game, we get a half win. If Brighton win the game, we get a full win. That's priced at 1.92. Um, so I'm more than happy to, to side with Brighton, the, the old data friends. Ah, yes. Yeah, you data must love friends. Brighton, surely. <laughs> that they must be like a wonderful case for you to study. Brighton. They are, yeah. They're, they're, they're fascinating. Um, and, you know, the, the, the stuff I mentioned about at home, it's... It's not just last season. The season before, they ranked as the, I think, the fourth or fifth best home team in the Premier League based on expected goals. But they've they under, they've underscored over the last two campaigns by around twenty five to thirty goals at home. And it's not just Mopay, is, just... is it? Because I looked at your figures for Mopay last season, and he was pretty much bang on. He got eight goals, and he was expected to score eight goals. The the figures were more or less in line. So it's as a team they underperform in front of goal, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is, and and you know that it's. If this continues for a third season um, and doesn't sort of regress to the mean, then I would probably be looking at doing a, a deep dive into reasons as to why that might be happening. Is it because they go behind early and they are basically chasing the game, which obviously increases the XG? Um, or are there a lot of shots that they're taking from close range that are blocked um, from close range as well? So they're creating the big chances on paper, but in terms of testing the goalkeeper, they're not doing that because of blocks. Um so yeah, it definitely warrants a deeper dive if it continues, but no such problems away from home. No, strange one. Very curious indeed. Before we wrap up, it's time for Mark My Words, where Mark O'Hare comes up with a European nap from the weekend's action. Mark, what have you got for us? Going to go to France uh, Sunday afternoon in Ligue 1. Bonpellier take on newly promoted Auxerre. Uh, the first four fixtures involving these two teams this season have produced 21 goals. All four of them have gone over three and a half and all four of them have paid out for both teams to score backers. And I think BTTS is a, a really nice price at 1.8 in this game. Uh, Montpellier uh, have largely been Ligue 1's great entertainers over the last few years. Uh, did suffer a little bit in the second half of last season. Key departures in forward areas uh, obviously contributed to that, but they've made some positive moves in the transfer market. Standard service seems to have resumed. They've got plenty of sort of youthful exuberance across the park and some exciting pacey options in attack now. Uh, in a head coach of Olivier Delolio, who's yeah, always kind of uh, proposes his team to play free-flowing, attack-minded football. They just can't be trusted defensively. Uh, they're lacking sort of defensive steel, particularly at centre-half right now. Uh, there's a few question marks over who should be starting there. And like Leicester in the Premier League, they do suffer from set-pieces too. So Orzair, newly promoted, um, tend to be pretty trustworthy going forward. Uh, played very well, very watchable games last season in Ligue 2. They lost their first game 4-1 at Lille. Uh, and then last week, they played out a really enjoyable 2-2 draw with Angers. Uh, their head coach, Jean-Marc Furlan, has won promotion to the top flight five times. And he's done it playing with free-flowing, attack-minded football. Very dynamic teams, very carefree football. Um, so I expect them to be a, a really good addition to the top flight again after a 10-year absence. They've got quality in midfield, enough ability in forward areas 
to trouble most defences as they have done already. So I'm expecting quite a lively encounter between these two who are proactive in, pres in possession and, and very much trying to cover up their own sort of defensive deficiencies too. So you've basically got two attack-minded teams, two dodgy defences, both teams to score is trading at 1.8, which I think is a really nice price. Sounds tremendous to me. That's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. The Premier League and EFL extensively covered on our website, betting.betfair.com. So check that out from Emmett, from Jake, from Mark and from me. It's goodbye for now.